So today Bible's reading is in Psalm 100, and you can find it on page 604 uh, in the Church Bibles. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Good morning, everyone, and a very happy new year. Um, We're kicking off a new series in the book of Psalms this morning, um, and it's called Songs to Make Your Heart Sing. Um, Thanks very much to Jen Murray for the lovely graphics. Um, Let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to this little psalm. Father God, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that we are here and that we can hear your word speaking to us and know your very voice speaking into our hearts. So we pray that you would give us listening ears, tender consciences, receptive minds and humble spirits so that your word might come to us in the power of your spirit and our hearts may sing and skip and dance before you as we see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name because he died to secure for us fullness of joy in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to ask you this morning, what would make you joyful in this new year? What would make you joyful in 2020? Maybe some of those resolutions that Rachel was um, talking about earlier. Maybe to get healthier or get fitter. Maybe to take up a new hobby. Perhaps to get closer to family, make new friends. Maybe there are things you're looking forward to this year. Maybe, I don't know, buying a house or getting promoted at work. Maybe getting married. Maybe some other life event coming up. There are things that we all want in this new year. But underneath them all, we're looking for things that will bring us joy. Well, I've got some good news. Um, And that is that the... The message of this psalm, it's a really simple message, is that the Christian life should be a life of joy. That however your experience of life is right now, whatever the last year has been like, whatever your feelings are about this coming year, what God wants for you is deeper, wider, more joy in knowing him. That's what God wants for you this year. The Christian life should be a life of joy. Now, to get us in the, yeah, in the kind of groove of this psalm, I, I thought maybe we could read the first line together. It's up, up on the screen, I think. Um, so if we could read this together after three. One, two, three. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, now look carefully. It says shout. So I'd like to do that a little bit louder. Okay, one, two, three. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, we've got a few children in with us, so I think we've got a little bit more lung power than that. So one more time. One, two, three. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Okay, that was better. This psalm is a noisy psalm. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. Come before him with joyful songs. 
This is an exuberant psalm, a bouncy, joyful psalm. Um, verse 1, it tells us to shout. Verse, and that's, just, that's not just us, that's the whole earth. All creatures, all people, the oceans and the volcanoes. And we're told in verse 2, come before him with joyful songs. Verse 4 pictures like a festival, a procession coming into God's temple. Anyone stay up to see the fireworks on New Year's Eve? You had Craig David giving his, his lovely little concert there. And then you have Big Ben chiming in the new year. And then you have the fireworks and the music. And then they play old Lang Syne, everyone's singing and dancing. It's, it's noisy, it's joyful, it's jubilant. That's what this psalm feels like. And I want you to get that because that's not what we often think the Christian life is about. You ask your average Christian what the Christian life is like, and they will probably describe something a little bit like this next picture. The Christian life is hard. It's serious. It's kind of depressing. Don't get excited. Don't get happy because something bad is going to happen very soon. And those things do happen in the Christian life. Jesus tells us to expect that there will be hard things. Some of you know that right now. You're living in that. But that's not all that's true. The author G.K. Chesterton is meant to have said that Jesus promised his followers three things. That they would be in constant trouble, check. That they would be completely fearless, okay. And that they would be absurdly happy. So it's less of this and more of the next picture. If you think about what the Christian life is like. Or to change change the metaphor. Sorry if you don't like Man City. But if life is football... Passion and excitement and, and energy. Sometimes we think Jesus is like the video assistant referee. If we have the next picture. Just there, programmed to take everything that's fun, everything that's joyful, everything that could be good, and to suck it all out. And to make it cold and precise and accurate and just miserable. This answer is no. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Come before him with joyful songs. Jesus isn't the the VAR. The Christian life is the open-top bus tour as the victors come back and possess into their hometown. The psalm says we're meant to be joyful as Christians. We're made for joy. Now, some of you are thinking, well, does that mean Christians are just meant to be happy all the time? Is that what you're saying? Those those weird, big-mouthed, billy-bass fish that were really cool in 1995. When you walk past them, they sing, don't worry, be happy. Or that person who's just a bit annoying because a bit like Tigger, they're just a bit too optimistic. And if you're a bit ill, they rub you up the wrong way. It's not good to be told to be happy when you're not. Is that what the psalm is saying? Well, joy is a bit like happiness. It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It's not something you believe. It's something that you actually feel. But it's different from happiness, even though it can feel very happy. Firstly, joy isn't about external circumstances. Pleasure, happiness, that's about something outside you making you happy. But joy is often something a bit deeper. In fact, joy can even coexist with sadness. You can't be happy and sad at the same time, but you can be joyful even when you're sad. And joy feels different. C.S. Lewis tried to put it into words. He said it can be like um, the feeling that you get when um, a delicious smell wafts past you, or you hear some beautiful music, you just hear it in the distance. Or when you wake up in the morning and you realise it's the first day of the summer holidays, it wakes something up in you. Oh, here's what he says. He says, an unsatis- it's like an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. It both fills you up and leaves you wanting more at the same time. It's pointing towards something. It makes you long for something. It's hard to put into words, but you know what he means. But here's the big difference. 
we are told by God to be joyful. Not to be happy. Because you can't tell someone to just be happy. But God does say to be joyful. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then you think, well, how? How can I make myself feel something that I don't feel? We'll, We'll come to that in a minute. I just want to pause on this. We are supposed to experience joy. The Christian life is about facts and about reality. Jesus really came, really died, really rose, really ascended to heaven. Facts, history. But it leads to joy. Genuine Christianity involves joy. When Paul is writing and saying, well, what does the Holy Spirit do when he comes into us? What is the fruit of the Spirit? He says, love, then joy. Now, that doesn't mean Christians never experience negative emotions. The Christians never get anxious, never get depressed. It doesn't mean you always feel on top of the world. But it does mean that even in those things, genuine Christianity means joy is there. And without that, it's not just that we're missing out, but we're spiritually lopsided. We haven't had all of the effects of knowing Jesus in us yet. That's the kind of inner joy. But also, this is a psalm about the worship of God's people. A psalm about corporate joy. We're meant to express joy as well as experience joy. We're told to sing and to shout. Elsewhere in the Psalms, dancing is is used as an expression of joy in God. Now, we're not that expressive in joyfulness, are we, really? Let's be honest. A few weeks ago, I was preaching, and it was, if I can remember rightly, there was definitely joy in the preaching. We were meant to feel joy, but, you know, there was very little kind of feedback. And then, in the notices at the end, Harry, uh, operations manager, said, we have got a new post box. And every head went like that. And every mouth went, ooh. There was more joy in the post box than there was in hearing God's word. Now, I, I understand. Okay, it's like, I have a hard time expressing joy. I go to a concert of my favourite band, and I might, might stretch to a foot tap if I'm really excited. Say it's the cup final and England are winning. If they score, I might stretch to a... Oh, good. Very good. That's as far as it goes for me. That's not the point. The point is, whatever my joy expression range, the maximum level should belong to Jesus. Wherever you are on the joy expression range, the maximum should belong to Jesus. So shouldn't some of that be expressed here? Shouldn't people come into church and see joyful people? We could chase that more, but we need to move on. We're meant to experience joy. We're meant to express joy. But maybe you're thinking, well, you're telling me I should feel something, and I don't feel it. Maybe you used to feel it. Maybe you never have. Well, a little secret. Two days ago, I said to Heather, my wife, I'm meant to be preaching on joy on Sunday, and I could not feel less joyful. How do you go there? How do you get from not feeling joy to joy in God? Well, here's our other big headline. Knowing God leads to joy. Knowing God leads to joy. Not talking about joy as a state of mind. Not talking about joy in in circumstances, in life, in um, what's happening in life. But joy in God. Knowing God leads to joy. Maybe you know someone who just makes you happy. Um, You're around them and you just can't help smiling. There's something about them that's so joyful and it rubs off on you. It's infectious. That's what God is like. He is full of joy. Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity past. Fully self-sufficient and happy. 
God is happy in himself. And that joy is infectious. And the closer we get to him, the more that rubs off on us. The more joy we experience. Now, I don't know whether you've seen it, but this psalm has a structure to it. It's kind of split up into four um, parts. And it's two halves. Repeated halves. So, verse 1 and 2 tells us to, to give joyful exclamation to God. To praise him, to shout to him. And then verse 3 gives us truth about God. So, joy in God, and then truth about God. And then it repeats. Verse 4, grateful praise to God. Come before him with thanksgiving. And then verse 5 again, truth about God. Why should we praise him? Because of these things about him. And it's put together like that on purpose. Firstly, joy, rejoice in God, and then truth about God. And it's done that way to make us see there's a link. Knowing God, knowing things about God, knowing him leads to joy. Well, what are the things we're meant to know? Well, let's list a few of them. Verse 3, we're told, he is God. He's powerful and we're not. He's in control of our lives and the things that happen to us and we're not. And straight away, that lifts the burden of being self-sufficient and self-defining. We can lean on someone who's bigger than we are. We're told that he made us. We're his people. We belong to him. We're owned by him. He takes responsibility for us. We're told we're the sheep of his pasture. So he's our shepherd. And it doesn't mean, um, I've got a couple of pictures here, it doesn't mean the first kind of shepherd up here. A shepherd who's on his quad bike and with a sheepdog who moves sheep from one field to the next and then goes home to his nice warm bed. No, no, it means the next kind of shepherd. If you've been somewhere like the French Alps, you'll see these people who actually live among the sheep and are there with them to stop anything attacking them, to stop them falling off a cliff because sheep are stupid, to move them to the next place so they get food. God cares for us. He uses his power to shepherd us, to protect us from harm. Then in verse 5, we're told he's good. He's completely good. If you were here for our 1 John series, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And we're told his love and his faithfulness endure. Look at verse 5. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. Recently, we were at a National Trust place because that's the kind of place we go to as a family. Um, and I was saying to our kids, imagine the people who've lived here before, hundreds of years ago. I wonder if you've been to a castle or an old house and thought, well, all the people who've lived here over hundreds of years, and how many more people will come and visit here and be here after we've gone? It endures, it's constant throughout all the changing. Or maybe a mountain. And you see things change around it. Cities come, cities go, things change. But it's there, it's constant through all generations. God says that is his love and his faithfulness. He will never change. He will never let us down, even though everything else does. But it's not just standing there like a mountain. It's doing something. We're told in Psalm 23 that God's goodness and mercy follow us. They're on our tail. They follow us. So when you look behind you, you don't see something nasty about to sneak up on you. You see God's goodness and his mercy following you. Why is the psalmist telling us these things? Because knowing them leads to joy. The psalmist doesn't say, well, you haven't got enough joy, you haven't got any joy. Oh, well, I give up then. He doesn't say, well, come on, try harder. Just kind of screw yourself up. Manufacture some joy. He doesn't say that. He says, you haven't got joy. Here's how you find it. Know these things. 
Know this God. Fill your mind and your heart with who he is and with what he's done and what he's like. And concentrate on those things. Chew on them. Fill yourself with them. And then joy will come. That is how you find joy. Knowing God leads to joy. And the more you know him, the greater the joy. The more you rely on him, the deeper the joy. The more you turn to him, the more consistently that joy will be there. And as Christians, of course, there's even more for us to know, even more for us to rejoice in. More than there is in this psalm. We just celebrated Christmas, where we see Jesus becoming one of us. In a few months, it'll be Easter, where we celebrate how Jesus died for us. And then Jesus rose again to defeat death for us. How he reigns in heaven at his Father's right hand, as one of us still, and prays for us constantly. How he gives his spirit to indwell us and connect us to him. How he orders all things so that nothing can separate us from his love. So that everything has to work for good for us. How he will return one day to gather us. There are so many reasons. We have every reason as Christians for joy. Knowing Jesus leads to joy. And that will look different at different times. Sometimes you won't feel like dancing. Sometimes you won't even be able to sing. But then you look at Jesus, who lived the perfect emotional life, who was maximally joyful. And you see that sometimes he wept. And you go, well, okay, so that's okay. Look at the Apostle Paul, who said, I'm sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Get your head around that. He beat up. And run down and yet full of joy. Why? Because God is always the same. The gospel is always true. So there's no season of life where joy is impossible. For some of you it's been a rubbish year. And some of you are bringing into this new year every reason for fear and anxiety and cynicism and negativity. But there is no season of life where joy is impossible. Why? Because God's still good. Because the gospel's still true. Because his goodness and his love haven't stopped following you. They're still on your tail, stalking you into 2020. And his love and faithfulness are still the mountains that are defining the landscape of reality for you. There is no season where joy is impossible. The Christian life is meant to be one of joy, and that joy comes from knowing Jesus. Well, some of you are wondering, that's all very well. But isn't there something missing here? Aren't there things we're meant to do as Christians? What about that? Here's the third thing. Serving God flows from joy in God. Let me take you back to school. Um, those of you who have left school, or if you're still at school, maybe you'll get this. Why is it that you obey your teachers? I'll tell you why I obeyed them. Mostly it was just because out of duty. I was just that geeky kind of kid who you know just that's what you did so you obeyed your teachers but some of them you knew you could get things out of them some of them were just a little bit free and easy with the house points and the stars and the stickers and the rewards but there was one teacher in the history department who frankly was terrifying he wore this green woolen tank top you can tell he's really embedded on my mind um had this big handlebar moustache and the scary thing about him was that he could see into your soul without looking at you. He would look up into the corner of the room over there. Just looking over there. And then he would go, you! Pointing directly at you. 
Take that gum out of your mouth. Put it in the bin now. How did he do that? That's incredible. With him, you obeyed because you were afraid of what would happen if you didn't. And it's the same, isn't it? Why we obey our parents, why we obey our boss, why we obey the law. Sometimes out of duty, sometimes because we're trying to get something, sometimes we're afraid of what will happen if we don't. We see in this passage what kind of obedience God wants. Verse 2 says, worship the Lord with gladness. Or your Bible might have, serve him. That's, That's what's behind that word. God wants us to serve him because we're glad in him. He doesn't want us to serve him because we have to, but because we're his people. Because he made us, he owns us. He doesn't want us to serve him because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't, but because he's our shepherd who cares for us and protects us. He doesn't want us to serve him to try and get things out of him. He's given us everything he could have possibly given us. Every spiritual blessing in Christ, we're told. If you were here um, last term, we were looking at Romans 12. Which says, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. And if you remember, if you're here, it's not just talking about worship in the Sunday sense, about singing, or even about being on kids' groups, or on the welcome rotor, or being a home group leader. It's talking about everything. Everything you are. Everything you are at home, and at work, and at school. All of your possessions, all your money, all your relationships, all your loves, your ambitions, all your parenting, all of your hopes, putting everything on the altar, and saying, because of what you have done, I am yours. Like Kanye West sings, I bow down to the king upon the throne. My life is his, I'm no longer my own. And it's all worship. It's all from joy in God. Not trying to earn something. Not trying to pay him back. Not because you're afraid of what will happen. Serving God flows from joy in God. Jesus is not made to look awesome by a church full of people who are really good at obeying, but have no joy. They were serving him because they think then he will give them stuff. Or because they're afraid of what will happen if they don't. Jesus is not made to look awesome by a church of people who are learning lots about God and learning lots of great ministry skills, but aren't excited to know him. And overflowing in joy. The Christian life is a life where knowing God leads to joy. And then joy overflows in serving Serving God, serving other people, telling other people about Jesus, spreading, overflowing in joy. So as we close, I asked you at the beginning, what would give you joy in 2020? If you haven't got it yet, yet let me answer it for you. It's not getting promoted. It's not getting married. It's not getting an A-star. It's not getting a new pet or a new car. But knowing God. This year we are invited to joy in God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, or you're not sure whether you're a Christian, this is for you. The first line of this psalm says, shout for joy to God all the earth. This is everybody. Everyone's invited to this joy. Because of what Jesus did, it's not just God's Old Testament people, the Jews, otherwise most of us couldn't be included. It's everybody, everyone's invited. Maybe you have that kind of deep-seated just belief that you should be joyful. That's something that should be the case. But you've got nothing in what you believe about the world to back that up. Jesus says you're made for joy. That's why you have that desire. It's not just brain chemistry. Maybe you know that kind of deep happiness that fills you up but also leaves you longing. Pointing to something. You don't know what it is. It's pointing to Jesus. 
as the one who can bring you joy. And he won't suck the life out of you. He says in, to his disciples in John chapter 15, I say these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He was the most fully, maximally, joyfully alive person and he wants to share his joy with you. Now you might have questions about that. I'm sure you have. And if it's true, or if it could be true, isn't it worth checking out? Let me invite you. You've got this flyer in your notice sheet. There's a series of evenings coming up starting next Monday evening. Just looking at who Jesus is, what Christianity is about. If you've got questions about Jesus, please, wouldn't it be worth giving up even one evening to go and check that out? Bring your questions. Find out more about Jesus. If you are a Christian, what difference would it make to you to take up this invitation to joy? What if you could pray with thankfulness instead of fretting with anxiety? What if you weren't reliant on other things to feel good? What if you didn't have your default setting as negativity and cynicism and the things that are going wrong, but joy in God? What about us as a church? What difference would it make if this church was known, not as a place where people celebrate less than everyone out there, but where people celebrate more? One theologian said, we ought to attract people to the church by the sheer pleasure of being a Christian. What difference would it make if our biggest priority wasn't just filling voters and doing our ministry stuff, but pursuing joy in God? Until we overflow with joy in serving him and in evangelism and in all the things that we do, because we're joyful to know him. Well, how do we get there? Well, to pick up Rachel's theme of New Year's resolutions, let me suggest making a New Year's resolution. One practical step towards joy in God. And don't, I don't, don't want to be prescriptive. It, I don't know what that will be for you. It might be committing to daily prayer, to reminding yourself every day of the gospel. It might be taking up a Bible reading plan. And some of you will go, oh, that's legalism, that's duty. No, no, it's discipline in pursuit of delight. You might say, well, I've I've never finished those things. There's no point. Another secret, I've never finished a Bible reading plan. Not in the time it's meant to take. Never done it. But the fact that I've started, the fact that I've had a go at it, means I know God better. I have more joy in him because I went for it. It doesn't matter that halfway through March you'll kind of be a few days behind. It doesn't matter. One practical step towards joining God. Maybe that step for you is... Finding a friend and saying, can we meet up once a month to pray together and encourage one another? Maybe asking, how can I get plugged into church life? How can I get more involved? How can I serve? Maybe visit the bookstall after the service. Pick up a Christian book. Think, I can give a few hours to reading this and just getting to know God better. Whatever it is. Whatever's happening this year, whatever you don't know is going to happen, whatever uncertainty you're facing, will you commit to making 2020 A year when you grow in joy, when your heart skips and dances and sings because it finds its joy in God. And everything flows out from that. You are invited to joy. Are you going to accept God's invitation? Let's pray. Father God, Move us to delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you.
We are spiritually lopsided. And we want to be restored. Please restore to us the joy of your salvation as we see Jesus more clearly and draw near to him. And we pray that that would then just explode in service and in evangelism and in all the good things you have for us to do. But let it be because we are delighted to know you and to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.